Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. So today, I'm excited because we are finishing our created summer message series. All throughout the summer, we have been exploring through the book of Genesis. We have gone all the way from Genesis 1, from Adam and Eve and the story of creation through to Noah and then into Abraham, and then how Abraham had his sons, um, Isaac, his one son, Isaac. And then from Isaac, we see um, Jacob, and then from Jacob, the 12 sons who ultimately became the tribes of Israel. We've been following this story all throughout the book of Genesis. We've been asking questions like, who is God? and what did he create us for and how can we get to know who God is and what's happened along the way and what is the purpose of us and how do we relate to God and all of these types of things. And we've seen a lot of different things that have come through, threads that have sort of gone throughout this idea of blessing. What does it mean to be blessed and and how do we bless uh, other people through us? Does God want us to use it? All of these things we've been learning throughout. Well, last week we have um, we've been talking about week two of Genesis 39 and chapters 40, 39 and 40 with the story of Joseph, right? We're in a three-part finishing part here of learning about this man named Joseph. Joseph was one of the uh, 12 sons of Jacob. He was one of the youngest, not the youngest, but he was almost the youngest. And we were going through his story, and we found out that what we've learned through Joseph so far is that we saw Joseph being used by God to influence other people around him even in his difficult situations. So last week, the big idea of our message was that God does not promise us comfort, but he does promise that he will finish what he starts. And I think that's really timely for us, right? Because oftentimes life is not easy. Oftentimes it is hard, it is difficult. But God doesn't promise us comfort, but he does promise that he will finish what he starts. How he is working in our lives, the dreams and the promises he has made to us, he is a faithful God who will finish what he starts. Well, today we're going to finish Joseph's story. And we're going to bring an end to our entire summer series by seeing God's promise fulfilled to Abraham and ultimately how that relates to us today. Well, let's get a quick summary of where we are so far. So Joseph, as I mentioned, was one of 12 sons uh, of Israel, and he was sold into slavery by his older brothers, and he ended up in Egypt. Joseph was a very young man, and early on, he had a dream, two dreams actually, in the middle of the night, where he would see his brothers and his family bowing down in front of him. And he was maybe, I don't know, naive enough or arrogant to share that dream out loud, and it created a series of events that ultimately ended up with him being in slavery in Egypt. Well, along the way, he has not had an easy journey, right? He was sold into slavery. We learned last week that he was working in the house of, uh, of one of the high officials of Pharaoh's uh, in Egypt, one of Pharaoh's highest officials in that house, and he ends up being falsely accused of sexual assault. He's thrown in prison, and then he's forgotten there, and he's left to rot for over two years. Joseph did not have an easy path. Well, through it all, God has been with Joseph, And he has blessed him. He's given him his favor. And he has used him supernaturally through dreams to influence people around him. And so we're about to see God step in, though, and change the fate not just of Joseph's story, but the story of an entire nation 
And through it, he's going to fulfill the promise that he made to Abraham generations ago. And if you're like, what is going on? If you've never read the book of Genesis, I encourage you to do that. You can go actually onto our website, EncounterPGH.com, and there's a watch and listen tab. And you can listen to all the messages that we've had prior to this. So if, you know, at the end of today's service, you're like, this was good, or wow, I'd like to know more and kind of go back. You can go back and listen to all that we've done throughout the entire summer for you. You can even sign up on podcasts. If you have an iPhone, you can go to the Apple iTunes and then listen every week and it'll pop up on your phone. So lots of ways to stay connected. Okay, so it has been two years, right? Two years since we last saw Joseph where he's just been forgotten. He had interpreted the dreams of these two guys uh, who were in prison with him and they got out of prison and then they were like, hey, remember me when, when this happens? And then they just completely forget about Joseph. So two years go by and he's stuck in jail. We're going to pick up the story now in Genesis chapter 41. If you have a Bible with you, uh, go ahead and uh, pull those out. If you have a smartphone or a tablet, you can get the Bible app. I encourage you to do that. We also have free Bibles for you. Uh, As soon as you walk out the doors on the shelf in front of you are free Bibles. So no one has a reason to leave here without a Bible. And it will also be on the screen with you this morning. So we're going to pick up Joseph's story right now in Genesis 41, beginning in verse 1. It says this, At the end of two years, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing beside the Nile River when seven healthy-looking, well-fed cows came up from the Nile and began to graze among the reeds. This is Pharaoh having a dream, okay? After them, seven other cows, sickly ones and thin, came up from the Nile and stood beside those cows along the bank of the Nile. The sickly, thin cows ate the well-healthy, well-fed, healthy cows. That's crazy. And then Pharaoh woke up. Could you imagine, like, you ever, like, had bad pizza or something, and you wake up, and you're like, what was that? This is what happened to Pharaoh. Verse 5, so he fell asleep, and he dreamed a second time. Seven heads of grain, plump and good, came up on one stalk. After them, seven heads of grain, thin and scorched by the east wind, sprouted up. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven plump full ones. I don't even know how that happens. Does grain have a mouth? I don't know. Then Pharaoh woke up again, and it was only a dream. When morning came, he was troubled. I would be too. So he summoned all of the magicians, the, the seers, the diviners of Egypt, and all of his wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams. Now here, this is why it's important. If you guys wake up, right, and we come up and we go, we have a weird dream, we just kind of pass it off, right? At this time, dreams were considered to be incredibly important. They were considered to be prophetic. They, they thought of dreams, especially ones that were so vivid, were, were moments where God was speaking to you, okay? So Pharaoh, in this culture, would have had every reason to think that this was significant to him. So he calls together all of the wise counsel around him. He was troubled because, I don't know what this means. He summons them together, told them the dreams, but no one could interpret them. Now this, again, sounds strange, but there were people, because it was part of their culture, there were actually people employed in the court of the king, in the, of the pharaoh, whose job it was to interpret dreams. This happened frequently enough in their society that was their dream, their job, okay? So in this case, though, no one could interpret the dream for him. Verse 9, then the chief cupbearer, the guy that, one of the guys that Joseph interpreted two years, his dream two years ago, said to pharaoh, oh my gosh, today I remember my faults. 
Pharaoh was angry with his servants, and he put me in jail, and the chief baker in the custody of the captain of the guards. He and I had dreams on the same night. He's talking about what we learned about last week, right? Each dream had its own meaning. Now, while I was there, a young Hebrew, Joseph, a slave of the captain of the guards, was with us there. We told him our dreams. He interpreted our dreams for us, and each one had its own interpretation. And guess what? It turned out just the way that he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other guy was hanged. Remember, we talked about that. Like, one of them was going to live, and the other one wasn't. And it all happened the way that Joseph interpreted. So Pharaoh goes, aha! Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and they quickly brought him from the dungeon. And thankfully, he shaved, changed his clothes, and went to Pharaoh. Now, That's a lot of scripture, and we're going to read a little bit more, not too much. Just wanted to give you the context. This is what's happening. So Pharaoh, after two years, or Joseph, after two years, finally someone knocks on the cage of his dungeon and says, Hey, Pharaoh wants to see you. And Joseph goes, Oh, that's wonderful. I mean, he's probably imagined how sore he is. He's been stuck in a little box this whole time. I mean, who knows what it was the conditions were like. He shaves, changes his clothes, and that's not just so that he could feel better. It's actually because no one goes before the king looking shabby, right? You would actually get killed if you were not presenting yourself in an appropriate way. You would be disrespectful to the Pharaoh. So he changes his clothes. They give him clothes. You know, he shaves. He dresses himself up nicely. And you can imagine up at this point, Joseph is probably thinking to himself, this could be the end for me, right? I mean, all of that he's been through, he's had ups and he's had downs, But Joseph must be thinking to himself, at least somewhere in his mind, who knows what's about to happen. But I also believe that somewhere in his mind, he's been trusting God. He has always seen how God has been working behind the scenes, taking care of him, right? So I think in some senses, Joseph still had his dream that he would one day have his family bow in front of him and somewhere in the back of his head that God was still at work. So we see Joseph get in front of the Pharaoh, and Joseph says, Our Pharaoh says to Joseph, I have had these dreams, and no one has the ability to interpret them for me. And I heard that you have the ability to do that. And Joseph says again, interestingly enough, no, I can't do that. Only God can. I think that's so cool how Joseph understood that he wasn't the one who was awesome. It was God working through Joseph, right? So Joseph says, I can't, but God can through me. So he tells him his dreams. And it turns out that Joseph tells Pharaoh that the seven cows... And the seven heads of grain actually equal seven years. And what's going to happen is, he says, the first seven cows and the first seven grain actually means that there's going to be seven years of abundance. There's going to be a ton of food. Crops are going to grow in amazing amounts. And it's going to be wonderful. And everybody's going to have food. And everyone's going to feel plump and fat because we're going to be able to eat so much. But then the other seven cows and the other seven grains actually means that there's going to be seven years of incredible famine in Egypt and around the region. And so Pharaoh goes, oh my gosh, what are we going to do? And so Joseph suggests to him, I would suggest, because of this dream, God is letting you know what's about to happen. So prepare for it. So he says, I think you should put someone in charge. Put a guy in charge who will go throughout the land during the abundance and collect food, you know, a fifth of the food, all the food during the seven years, collect it and put it in storehouses so that when the famine hits, you will have enough food in in the area. That sounds like a savings account, right? There's just a little bit of an example of how we could be using our own finances just as a side note, so that when the time comes for us when bills get too heavy or when maybe our paychecks shrink or whatever happens, we have something. This is a a biblical principle we see there. So Joseph says that, and the Pharaoh goes, that's a great idea. Joseph, you're going to do that. So here we go immediately from the dungeon 
all the way back up. I mean, this poor dude, like Joseph is like on a roller coaster life. He went from living with his family into slavery. Then he gets promoted to be the head of the household of Pharaoh's like captain of the guard. And then he's thrown into the dungeon. And then he's used by God. And then he's forgotten for two years. And then he comes back and now he's lifted up to be the second in command in all of Egypt. It sounds crazy, but all throughout it, God is at work, right? So Pharaoh is so pleased with it. Pharaoh is so happy with it, he puts him to work. And what we see here is that Pharaoh actually realizes the wisdom of Joseph and God working through him. And we talked about that last week, that associative effect of God's blessing. God is with Joseph. And because of that, God is working through Joseph to to impact his surroundings. The associative effect of God's favor on one's life has an impact on others. And God, Joseph... Sorry, Pharaoh saw Joseph being used by God and recognized that, that, you know what, I should tap into that and puts him in charge. And so Joseph does. He goes to work setting up a system, collecting, you know, throughout the seven years, collecting grain, collecting a fifth of everything that's produced and putting it in storehouses, okay? And sure enough, everything happened the way Joseph said it would. Seven years of abundance and then seven years, followed by seven years of extreme famine. But because they had been intentional, about collecting and storing away food during the first seven years. There was enough to go around when the famine hit. Now notice how chapter 47, 41 ends. Check this out in verse 57. It says, every land came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain. Every land, for the famine was severe in every land. Now this is important because this is not a story about Egypt. This is actually a story about Israel. It's one about God's promise to Abraham. Okay, so at the end of the verse, we're like, it's all about Joseph, it's all about Pharaoh, it's all about Egypt. But the Bible is reminding us that it's not really what this whole story is about. Genesis as a whole is about something else. It's about Israel. It's about God's promise to Abraham that he would create a new kind of people, that he would, that he would work through those people, that he would bless the entire world. That's what the story of Genesis is about. God is moving the pieces around the board, not just in this story, but we've seen it all throughout Genesis to bring about his purposes. And this is what's called sovereignty. Sovereignty. And the idea of sovereignty is God controlling circumstances for his purposes and his plan. We see it all throughout Genesis that when things appear as though there's no way for for the situation to turn out positively, that God might not be, where is God? Where is he at? That God makes promises, that situations appear to be as though they're going to end up just like every other time. And yet, somehow we see on the backside that God is moving pieces around. People show up in unexpected moments. We see that God uses someone who is just a child, a 17-year-old boy, brought into slavery. What could God possibly do with that? It starts with a dream and ends up with this moment of where God, we, we, where God pulls back the curtain. It's sort of like the Wizard of Oz moment where we see God behind the curtain beginning to show us that he has been in charge this entire time. In fact, I want to tell you a quick story of something that just happened this week uh, in our church. The individuals have said I could share the story, but they didn't want to share their names, so I'm not going to give names. But uh, one of the members of our church this week had their car stolen. And, I mean, as you can imagine, having your car stolen is an awful moment. I mean, it feels, I've had my car stolen before. It's a terrible feeling, right? 
Well, while that individual is, is going through that whole process, reporting it to the police and figuring out what's happening, simultaneously another individual in our church wakes up the next day and sees a car out front of their house that they don't recognize. So they call the police and then tell them that a car has been sitting there. They don't know what it is. Lo and behold, turns out that that car is the car from the person who was stolen in our church, and a person from our church found it and reported that that car has been taken. Now, that is an example of God's sovereignty at work, okay? Some people would say that's a coincidence, but I would say you can see how God is working behind the scenes, okay? That's an example of it, and we see that all throughout the book of Genesis and in Joseph's life. Now, why am I talking about that? Here's the first observation I'm going to make. If you are taking notes, write this down. Genesis is a story that illustrates the scale and the scope of God's sovereignty and faithfulness to his word. If you want to know kind of in a nutshell what Genesis is about, a lot of Genesis is about the scale and scope of God's sovereignty and his faithfulness to his word. We see him time and time again throughout Genesis of saying he's going to do something. And then we screw it up. You know, as people, we, we do our own thing. We make mistakes. We, our faults are on display. And we're like, there is no way this is about to crash and burn. And yet somehow God moves the pieces around the board and he is faithful to his word. I love that God is faithful even when we are not. And we see that throughout Genesis we see that at the end of this story. Now, let's see how God is going to bring everything together for his purposes. Chapter 42, verse 1. So when Jacob, Jacob, Joseph's dad, learned that there was grain in Egypt because there was famine everywhere, he said to his sons, why do you keep looking at each other? I love this. They're like doing nothing, twiddling their thumbs. Listen, he went on, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Just in case you aren't familiar with this story or the geographic regions, they're in the land of Canaan, which is like today's sort of Israel. So they're not in Egypt. Famine has reached beyond where Joseph is, okay, hundreds of miles away, and they're, they're suffering too. So now Jacob is saying, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go there and buy some for us so that we will live and not die. So 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. Verse 5, the sons of Israel were among those who came to buy grain, for the famine was in the land of Canaan. Joseph was in charge of the country. He sold grain to all its people. And check this out. His brothers came and did what? Bowed down before him with their faces to the ground. Do you remember two weeks ago that Joseph had a dream that, that his brothers would be bowing in front of him? This is the moment. This is literally the moment that Joseph has been dreaming about, that he's been thinking about. God, what was that about that brought me to slavery, that brought me to this foreign land? What is all of this about? Here's the second observation that I want to make to you, is that this, write this down, God-given dreams are often fulfilled in unexpected ways. God-given dreams are often, are often fulfilled in unexpected ways. Joseph had no idea how God was going to bring it about. Perhaps Joseph, because maybe he was a little arrogant, that's a possibility, that when he told, you know, his family, hey, guys, I had a dream last night, and you, Reuben, and you, Benjamin, you know, and you, Simeon, you guys are going to bow in front of me, and I'm going to, maybe he had this idea that he would be on a throne or something, you know. We don't know exactly what it was. So maybe he had an interpretation in his mind, something that he thought that it would look like, an expectation, and now the reason that his brothers are actually there bowing in front of him is not out of servitude, but it's out of need. It's out of a position of, of, of weakness. It's out of a place where Joseph has something that he can offer to them, 
right? And so we don't know whether or not he was like overjoyed by it. We don't know if he was like, uh, if he was taken aback or surprised by it. But let me tell you something about what God says in your life. When God promises you something, or if God puts a dream in your heart, do not get discouraged if it doesn't appear to go the way that you think it is. Oftentimes, God brings about his dreams, answers to prayers, in unexpected ways. It doesn't mean it wasn't fulfilled. It just means that it was done maybe in a way that you weren't expecting, but you can look back and say, wow, it did happen the way that God said it would. And in the end, most of the time, it actually ends up being better than we could have ever imagined. So just a little tidbit there, God-given dreams are often fulfilled in unexpected ways. Now, what happens next is this really interesting sequence kind of between chapters 42 and 44. We're not going to read it, so I'm going to summarize. It's this interesting sequence where Joseph uh, meets his brothers, and they don't recognize him. Okay, so he pretends to not recognize his brothers and actually accuses them of being spies. So he yells at them, you're here from another land, and you're here to, to take all of our grain. And they're like, no, 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 no. Like he's kind of toying with them a little bit. It's this interesting sequence. So he sends them back. He says, to prove that you're not, you are to go back to where you came from and bring back your youngest son, Benjamin, right? Which Joseph is like, I need to see my brother, right? Benjamin was the only full brother that he had. All the other ones were from different moms. So Benjamin was the only one who was like his whole brother, his full brother, full blood brother. And so he said, go bring this boy that you say is there and bring him back, and then I'll know for sure that you're not spies. So he sends them back and forth, and through this process, learns that his dad is still alive, that Jacob is still alive. And so we see Joseph testing the heart of his family, and finally, when they come back, Joseph can't stand it any longer. He can't hold back that he doesn't, that he knows them. And he has to reveal himself to his brothers. So we're going to pick up in chapter 45, verse 1. Chapter 45, verse 1. Joseph could no longer keep his composure in front of all of his attendees. So he called out, send everybody away from me. No one was with him when he revealed his identity to his brothers. But he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard it. I can imagine in this moment the emotion, all the bottled up like emotion and feeling in Joseph in this moment. Years. He was 17 when he was sold into slavery, right? Now he's an adult. He's a man. He wept so loudly that they heard it, and also Pharaoh's household heard it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But they could not answer him because they were terrified in his presence. Verse 4, then Joseph said to his brothers, please come near me. And they came near. I am Joseph, your brother. He said, the one that you sold into slavery. Now, this is the moment, right? This is the moment that we have all been waiting for. This is the moment where Joseph is finally going to unleash his fury upon his brothers. If I'm Joseph and I'm about to reveal myself to them, I got a lot of anger, right? I got a lot of time that I've been thinking about how the pain and suffering, who knows, the whippings and the beatings, the false accusations, the living in damp, dark dungeons with like bugs crawling all over the place, right? This is what Joseph's life has been. And if I meet the people who put me there, most likely what I want to do is let them have it, right? Anybody else in the room would feel that way? Am I the only one? My gosh. All right, you know, if I'm that way, that's what happens. But... This is not your story. This is not my story. It's not even Joseph's story, really. It's God's story. And all throughout Genesis, what have we seen? We see a story gets set up for something. We're like, oh, I see. I know what's about to happen. I know it, right? That this person's about to get his or that God's about to smack them or God's about to smite them or God's about to do something or that every person is going to do the thing that we expect them to. And then God flips it every time. And look what happens in this story. 
Look what Joseph says to his brothers, verse 5. And now, he says, I am your brother. You brought me here. And now don't be grieved or angry with yourselves for selling me here because God sent me ahead of you to preserve your life. I'm sorry, what? Preserve the lives of my jerky little brothers? Really? Like specifically, yes, that's what God was saying. But, but it's bigger than that. It's not what he really means. You see, these brothers are the patriarchs of the tribes of Israel. That's what Genesis has been building towards. God's promise to Abraham that he would have children and through his children would rise up a nation, a different group of people who would ultimately bring the name of Jesus, bring the Messiah. We are here today because of God's fulfilled promises to Abraham all the way through to the people of Israel, to the tribe of the tribes of Israel. God was preserving his word. God was proving himself to be good for his word when he was preserving the children of Jacob because they were the ones who ultimately would go on to become the tribes of Israel, who would become the people of Israel, who the Son of God would come from. You see, so Joseph somehow had this miraculous change of idea, change of perspective. And this is God's sovereignty at work. God has been working behind the scenes to be good on his word. Now check this out. It goes, it goes on. Verse 6, for the famine has been in the land these two years, and there will be five more years without plowing or harvest, Joseph says. God sent me ahead of you to establish you as a remnant within the land and to keep you alive by great deliverance. And listen to this. Therefore, it was not you who sent me here, but God. Wow. Like, I don't know that I've got that kind of, like, perspective. Right? Because literally, we know that his brothers sold him into slavery. We literally know that all the things that have happened to Joseph have been done not by his hand. He has been faithful. He has done his best. He has worked hard. He has, he has been a good man, you know. He's honored God. So he, if he has anybody to blame, certainly he's going to look at the catalyst of his whole thing was his jealous brothers. But that's not what he says. He says, no, it was God who sent me here. You see, something happened inside of Joseph over these long, hard years. As he matured, he relied on God. As he began to rely on God through his trials, and he began to witness God's faithfulness in those trials, he developed an understanding that he is not just himself, but he is part of a larger story. He's part of something bigger. He discovered a new perspective, a larger perspective, one that I believe God is trying to say to us in our lives and help us to see beyond what's even going on in this room. That God was doing something on a much bigger scale than he could ever imagine. Seeing from that perspective changed his anger to forgiveness. Seeing God working in a way that is beyond himself helps to uh, help us see that we are not as big as we think we are. Or that the grievances against us are not as strong as maybe they should be. Or that, that they're not as hold us as powerfully as we give them credit to. The things that hold us down in the grand scheme of things. The things that we worry about or that we stress about or the, the steps that we've taken along the way in the grand scope of what God is doing in the, in the cosmic play that we see being played out all throughout our lives. The things that we deal with on a regular daily basis. When we begin to see from God's perspective and his faithfulness, working in those situations, all the things that we kind of hold on to on a daily basis seem petty comparatively, you know? And that's what was happening to Joseph. And so here is an observation I'd like to make. Take this and write it down. The more that we participate with God, the more we can see from his perspective. Joseph was able to see from God's perspective. He was able to see, oh my gosh, my brothers. I believe in that moment when his brothers came and bowed in front of him. Like it was this moment of, oh my gosh, I can't 
wow, look what God did. Like, and almost like this supernatural wisdom was just kind of floating, like God just kind of like downloaded the little last bit of, of like code that makes the program work, whatever you might call it. And in this moment, Joseph was like, oh, I see what you were doing, God. This wasn't just about me. It wasn't my life stinks. It wasn't that, you know, I'm up and down. No, what was happening is you were moving pieces all across the board so that my family in this moment knew, knew 17 years ago, however long it was, that there was going to be a famine and my family would die if you hadn't sent me here. Wow, what a perspective. What's going on in our lives that maybe we're struggling through something, suffering through something that perhaps God has brought us to this place just like Esther in another uh, passage of Scripture for just this moment. Or perhaps for a moment that is coming that you can't see it, that God has prepared you for, the trials you've gone through or you're going through, the stories that you can tell or that you will be able to tell, the people that you will meet one day who need to hear the thing that you're going through right now and to see that God was faithful through it. That perspective, the more we participate with God, the more we can see from his perspective. So we're going to kind of wrap through here now. Verse 9, not like wrap, like, but like, like wrap this up. Return quickly to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me the Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me without delay. You can settle in the land of Goshen and be near me. You, your children, your grandchildren, your flocks, your herds, and all that you have. So the rest of the story is really like a big family reunion. They go back and they get Joseph, or they go back and get Jacob, and his brother comes, and it's this weeping, a lot of hugging, a lot of like weeping, a lot of crying. I mean, it's like back and forth, like they're talking to each other, and they're crying, and they're throwing parties and feasts, and it's this beautiful moment of like God healing and restoring things, right? And this is who God is at his core. He brings people together. He wants to heal things. He wants to bring things to life, and we see that here. Jacob's entire family, all the relatives and the possessions, they now settle in the land of Goshen in Egypt. And this is where God originally prophesied to Abraham. I don't know if you remember this. A long time ago, several weeks back, he said, he was telling Abraham what was going to happen. He said, I'm going to give you a son. And then his son is going to have son. And then they're going to have kids. And it's going to be this whole people group and they're going to go to Egypt. And they'll actually be enslaved before before I, I set them free. Like, here we are now, right? God Years and years and years ago, generations ago, prophesied in a dream to Abraham. And here we are now, them settling in the land that God said that they would. If you would have started this whole thing, right? God started meeting Abraham and said, go to the land of Canaan because that's the land I'm going to give you. If you would have asked Abraham, do you see your family living in Egypt for 400 years? His answer would have been, of course not. God told me, God told me I'm going to go here. But then God intervened and said something. And now at the end of this, generations later, we see God fulfilling his promise because God is good to his word. And that story is what we see in the book of Exodus. If you've ever heard of Moses, right? If you've ever heard the story of the uh, Israelites and the ten plagues and, and them being released and the parting of the Red Sea, these are things that, that happen in the, book of, in the book of Exodus, which happens right after that. But Joseph was the last piece that brought all of Genesis together. We see how God is moving the pieces around the board. The story of Joseph is really just a microcosm of the grand story that God is telling throughout the entire book of Genesis and ultimately throughout the entire Bible. And he's still telling that story. He's writing that story today to us. And remember that one of the goals for our series, right, one of the goals for our entire series has been this, a stronger understanding 
of the origins of biblical concepts. So this idea that we're talking about, right, that God is sovereign, that God is faithful, that God is good to his word, that he will do the things that he says he will do and he will finish what he starts. This all happens throughout Genesis, right? We've seen that all throughout Genesis. Now listen and watch how the story of what we see in Genesis begins there, the origins of it. Watch how it follows through the Old Testament and into the New Testament to us today. Check this out. Proverbs verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 21. Many are the plans in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. Do you see that? God's sovereignty on display. We do what we want to do, but God has a plan in the background. We see that. This is hundreds of years later, hundreds of years later now, where Solomon, right, King David's son, is writing the Proverbs down. We see how the faithfulness of God in Genesis became a part of the people of Israel. He created a new group of people who knew that God was faithful to his work, that God was in charge, and no matter what we do against him or changing it, that God's purposes will prevail. We see that there. Now watch what happens. After Jesus comes, the apostles rise up. The apostle Paul, check this out. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. There's little asterisks next to a couple of those words when you look them up. You know what it means? It just works together in all things. In other words, God is working behind the scenes in all things in your life. All things. He's pulling everything together. He's moving the pieces around the board for you, for the good of those, right? And it says what kind of good? Not just so that I'm comfortable. The word is the ultimate good. The ultimate good. He's looking for the end game for you and for the people around you. He cares about this world. He cares about the people in our neighborhoods. He cares about your neighbors, the people who don't know him. When we were lost, we were broken. We were hurting. We were doubtful. We were filled with shame and guilt and held down by our addictions. All of these types of things we found Jesus and set free from them. Thank you, God. We've been set free. Our neighbors who are experiencing the same thing, he wants that for them. So when we're going through our lives and we're suffering and we're struggling, we say, God, help us. Maybe, just maybe, he's looking at us and saying, I'm working all things together for the ultimate good of you and for those people who don't know me yet. And that's a hard perspective, but listen, what happened in Joseph? If anybody had the right, anybody who had the right to be frustrated and angry and to raise their fist at God and say, what are you doing? It would be him. Yet in the end of it, we see that God was moving throughout the entire thing to rescue a nation and ultimately be good to his word that he started hundreds of years ago. Maybe, just maybe, God's doing the same thing in in your life right now. Maybe he's writing a small chapter in the grand story of what God is telling of the restoration of all humanity. Perhaps he's writing a verse or a chapter and that includes you. Your section right now is about what you're going through so that you can tell the story so that your life will be on display and that you will see at the end of it. Maybe even a hundred years from now you didn't see it but maybe someone writes an article about you in the Post-Gazette or maybe there's a blog written about you or maybe there's something that you're sharing with someone or a picture or whatever it might be and in ten years from now, a hundred years from now, I don't know, someone looks at that and says, wow, that Jared guy, like I, he didn't get it at the time, but look what God was doing all along the way. We started a church five years ago. Who knows what this is going to be like a hundred years from now. Maybe, just maybe the next Billy Graham comes out of our church. Maybe. I don't know. But the point is, is that whatever we're doing, God is in it and he's moving through it. Working together. So the big idea of this message and really all of Genesis, write this down. Do not miss this opportunity is that God is always at work in and around us. Why? To restore all creation back to relationship.
That's what began in Genesis. That's what Jesus fulfilled so that we can have a relationship with our creator. We are living in partnership with God now and helping others see God's goodness as we wait for Jesus to return. And you know, this series was called Created because the book of Genesis is about a new kind of people that God created. We're created to know God and to reveal his goodness
speak back to us. His spirit will comfort us. He'll give us a feeling. Sometimes it'll be, for some of us, it might be actually a word of comfort. For some of you, it's it's not going to be a specific feeling. It might be a reminder of a passage of scripture or something. I don't know. And for everyone, it's different. But I believe that right now, in this moment, we're actually going to be quiet for just like 30 seconds. And listen, I know that that could feel awkward. And sometimes, you know, taking a moment in silence in a big group for like 30 seconds feels like an eternity. But I, I just want to try this exercise of being silent before the Lord and let him speak to us. So let's just have an exercise right now. We're just going to just even just tell him, God, I'm opening my heart to hear from you now. Let's just wait and just say, speak to me. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, 
you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.